and we're live. Ace, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having me back. It is no problem. I always enjoy having you on. You are a wealth of knowledge. It's like talking, oh, it's like talking to a literal computer <laughs> in the best kind of way, like data, but it's more emotion. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No, I, I'm very excited what we're about what we're about to talk about. Yeah. So it'd be great. Let me just um, set a link out real quick. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. Um, and, uh, we'll, we'll boost it for a little bit so people can get in here because I don't want anybody That's to miss this. For sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you tag me in the link, then I'll uh, retweet it. Sounds good. There it is. And uh, get your tagged and treat. There we go. Perfect. Perfect. So before we get into the topic of prison abolition, abolitionment. Yep. Okay, there we go. Uh, I want to say real quick. You are a host on one of my favorite podcasts, Slip Gang. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I, I'm so glad I finally found the one fan. <laughs> I am actually one of the few members of the Patreon. Yes, I. so, yes, we shouted you out. Um, I believe we shouted you out during the episode we just recorded, too, oh, for that. cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. You know, it, it's like, one that I think that one and Tom Woods are the only ones that I can, and Contra Gentilas, I listen to every week when they come out. It's like, no, this is my, this is what I do now. They all... Well, we, we very much appreciate that. Yeah, that, that's great. Thank you. No problem. So, prison abolishment. Yeah. Why should we abolish prisons? Don't we need somewhere to put, you know, bad people? So, yeah, this is probably the first question, obviously, people uh, uh, have when they think, when they hear, first hear about prison abolition. In fact, even a lot of libertarians, when they first hear about prison abolition, it's like when statists first hear about anarchism. It just doesn't really, like, uh, click in their heads why this would be a good thing, generally. Um, so I think when we're talking about like um, like what would we do with like the rapists and the murderers, this is a very real concern and it does need to be addressed, right? It's it's I understand why people are not prison abolitionists at, in a, generally. Um, so getting into it, I, I think one of the reasons there, there's two there's always generally two main ways you can look at something. You can look at things through an economic practical perspective, and then you can look at things through um, an, a moral perspective, right? And I think there's good cases for both for prison abolition. Um, for the practical side first, we can talk about the fact that um, when, when if someone commits a crime against another person, right, the, this could be a form of theft or it could be a, a worse type of crime. It could be like a murder or a rape. It's not when that person gets sent to jail that that person is being housed and imprisoned and the people are the, the the taxpayers are paying for that prison stay mm -hmm. i think i think in california last time i checked the numbers were like one prisoner costs like fifty thousand dollars in taxes each year Jesus. right uh so from an economic perspective this doesn't help the victim at all whatsoever mm -hmm. right and in fact this is true if you look at like how criminal so there's a difference between criminal law and civil law right mm -hmm. so criminal law generally speaking is the state incorporating uh society into a legal structure. So when, when um, under criminal law, generally how this arose would be like, um, if someone committed a crime, it wasn't merely just an infringement against an, one person to another person. It was an infringement against society. And this is where the state kind of uses their justification for like, this is why we have the say on what happens to this person, as opposed to like, you know, making it restitution based, based on the victim. So um, when you have a, a state run structure like this, they care more about um, th their own interests and not really the interests of the victim. And this is why you don't ever see the victim actually get anything really in return. So the, the person being in prison, there's an intuitive 
Um, I, there's, I understand intuitively why people would say, yeah, that's a bad person. He deserves not to be a part of society. I totally get that. When, but ultimately putting him in prison is not actually helping the victim, right? And maybe we'll get into this. We'll probably get into this more in depth later. But my, my position would be that the justified thing to do when someone commits a crime is to essentially make the person who committed the crime owe restitution for that crime over time. And while, you know, there's obviously certain crimes that you cannot pay for, you cannot restitute in full, like if someone murders someone else, that's true. But putting them in prison doesn't make, uh, doesn't bring that person back either. So out of all the options, the best one would be making the person um, pay restitution. Probably if it's a murder, maybe for the rest of their life to the victim's family. That makes sense. I've always, I've always had a problem with prisons, yeah. kind of in a sense that's like the what is it? It's one part. Uh, they say it's one part restitution. When one part, not restitution, uh, justice for the victim, separation yeah. from society, and then rehabilitation or punishment rehabilitation. Right. And it's like rehabilitation. That's obviously bullshit. There's yeah. no one gets rehabilitated. I mean, has anyone came out of prison? How do I put this? At a healthier mental state when they went in. Right. I yeah. I can't imagine that being the case. You may be better There's, off, but I can't imagine you're healthier. Right. Mentally speaking. Yeah, there's always going to be outliers where you can like pick these anecdotal little points here and there. But in general, most people when they go to prison, even if they weren't violent when they went in necessarily, if they went in for not like nonviolent crime, mm-hmm. uh, they're going to come out. Generally speaking, they're going to come out more violent. And this is due to many things. Uh, when they're associating with other prisoners in there, they in some sense have to like uh, you know this like when in Rome type situation. It's like, well, I'm in prison, so I have to become tough. I have to become hardened. And this generally creates like an internal culture and this feedback, this negative feedback loop that causes these people to uh, um, actually solidify their anger or their bad tendencies. If Even if they didn't have any tendencies in the past, it, they create these tendencies to, in some sense, survive better in prison next to these other prisoners. And that, that's definitely true in, like, supermax prisons. Um, we got a question here from Popular yeah. Liberty. How was you enforced throughout restitution? Is it servitude, debtors' prisons? Yeah. I, I don't think the prison abolitionist is going to be for a that is prison. I don't know. I don't know well, what that is exactly, but yeah. So basically, um, what would happen is you essentially the person would owe a debt, right? They would be for, so they you could levy their wages. That could be one way to do it, right? And I think that would be probably the most common way, which is whenever they got paid, uh, the the victim's family or the agent for the victim's family could come in and like justifiably take a portion of their wages, right? Hmm. Um. Another way that it could happen, so let's, uh, people always assume, okay, what's going to happen if they do not comply, right? What's going to happen? What happens to these people if they just refuse to pay the debt? Um, and I, I like to appeal to um, some older older uh, civilizations and societies and from medieval times and even a little bit earlier, where what they would do, uh, ancient Ireland is one example of this, where they would have um, what's known as Brehan Law. So um, things like ancient Ireland, Gospia, they had no prisons or police. So what mm-hmm. they did, is it, it, when someone committed a crime, if they committed that crime and they refused to pay restitution, right? Or if they were just uncooperative, whatever, any sort of um, um, like uh, problem that a person could cause by just not paying restitution, the court system, which was polycentric, would essentially say, okay, you're going to be uncooperative with us. We're not going to defend your rights. In fact, if someone comes along and aggresses against you and essentially like either kills you, robs you or anything, mm-hmm. we will not prosecute them. So what this essentially did is it made these people um, legal outlaws. So that way anyone could essentially uh, kill them or do anything to them 
and the court system would just say, well, that's too bad. No, we're not prosecuting mm -hmm. it. So mm -hmm. what this does is it incentivizes the people, the the um, the criminals to comply or else they're going to be essentially in open. It's going to be open season kind of in some yeah. sense on them. Right? I mean, that I don't I. I that makes sense to me because I'm 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 becoming more and more a fan of like the responsibility rights dichotomy kind of thing and how sure. you have to have obligations to the people around you kind of thing and otherwise yeah. they won't protect us. I think that's kind of right. many people need to learn and this kind of seems to play into that play into that a little bit. Uh, of, yeah, no one has a right. No one has an, a right to have someone else enforce their rights, right? So you yes. do have to kind of play ball. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I was I think a lot of anarchists don't. I think so they sort of get that point and some do. I think a mm -hmm. lot of people who are kind of like coming into this don't get that. Yeah. And they, they see the any anything involving a responsibility for rights is this conservatism, Burkean kind of thing. It's like, no, no, no. Right. I'm my own person. I'm my man in the woods. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, in an anarchist society, responsibility and your reputation as a person matters more, much more immensely than does in a state, would in a state based society. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's very integral. And um, um, Bob Murphy in, in his book, Chaos Theory, which is great, mm -hmm. I recommend everyone check it out. It's free on Mises. Um, yeah. Uh, he, he talks about this sort of so he talks about like, OK, let's imagine a scenario where the only crime, the only punishment uh, is for killing another human being was you have to pay the family one thousand dollars. Now, at mo in the beginning, everyone, it, there's an understandable shock and horror when people hear this is like one thousand dollars for a human life. That's insane. Now, the one thousand dollars isn't really relevant. It's just a number. You can, it can be any number you can think. Yeah. Right. So that's not the important part here. The point is, even if we assume that's true. What that means ultimately is that, it, okay, let's say restitution, no one is punished in this society. They just have to make restitution. Well, theoretically, in, in some sense, you could kill the murderer and just pay the restitution back. Right? So, uh, even so, like the, the pun, not punishing goes both ways. Mm -hmm. So, in, in like an institutional way. So, it's like, okay, the murderer isn't going to be punished in some sense, but neither will be the person who killed the murderer. Right? Mm -hmm. So you do see this kind of work out in a natural way, and the incentives, in my view, do align to um, disincentivize aggression. Yeah, uh, I think I have a feeling uh, Andrew here is going to be asking a lot of relevant questions. So I'm kind of just going to pop some his sure. up here. Uh, Ace, is the debt transferable? Oh, okay. So I'm assuming he means, um, can I sell the debt to a debt collector? Um, so okay, if. You could theoretically, I think, voluntarily sell it to a debt collector, yes, but it can't be transferred from like uh, people involuntarily. So, like, if if you, so, like, if you have a debt, your family does not have to pay your debt, right? So, if you have a debt, and let's say, um, or let's say I have a debt to, I have a debt to you, and then I die, the debt unfortunately is we're just we have to call it a loss because yeah. enforcing the debt on someone else who did not cause the harm is would not be justified. Yeah. So right in that sense, we would just have to call it clean, um, you know, which is not fair, but ultimately it would be more unfair to put the debt on someone who yeah. had nothing to do with it. So I want to, I want to make, I want to say this I, I, yeah. I'm from the get go here for a lot of people. Um, justice systems in any situation are going to be terrible. Yes. <laughs> like, yes there's like, no, I, I I read I recently read John Hasnass's uh, Mr. the Rule of Law recently. Oh, it's, I, it's a great essay. It's amazing. I realized so oh, good. justice and no matter what system is going to suck. Yeah, like there's no good way of doing the justice right. system, and kind of like what's the best we can get? And this is why I kind of like the anarchist take on it's like what's the best we can get that maximizes freedom, anarchy, and like all the stuff. And like yeah, so you know it does. It kind of sounds outlandish and outside the realm of possibility. Um, compared to what we have now, I don't think it's any any worse or better. It's kind of like it's probably a bit better than what we have now. Yeah. It's always going to be difficult. 
Right. So there's always going to be problems, right? There's always going to be people who try to rule over others. I've always, I've said this for a while, but like liberty is a constant struggle. There's no end point, right? There's no, oh, we get to this point and then it's just done. We can go home and we can rest, right? It's not like that. It's like, no, this will always be a problem, but perhaps we can, you know, um, align incentives in a certain way or convince a certain amount of people in a certain geographic area to say, okay, we'll, we'll try this out. And, and ultimately, I do think there is historical precedent for it. And I do think it's worked before and what i'm arguing for also is not not something terribly new like there a lot of societies a lot of, as i was mentioning like um Cospaya, ancient ireland these places they didn't have any police or prisons and they also weren't like um filled with warlords either ancient ireland had you know either skirmishes but in in within the um the places themselves if you compare like the relative peace to like you know some city in america the, the cities often have much more violence in fact um, let's get back to the prison abolition uh, yeah. a little bit. So we've, got, we've kind of gone through why we think it's good. What are mm-hmm. some common objections outside of this? Like, well, what are you going to do with the murder was? Like, what is like you argued about today, for example? It's like, what is the best argument you've heard against prison abolition? Like, why is prison necessary? Well, I think probably that probably is one of the best ones, right? Because I like I, I think it's the one that's most intuitive to people, which is that say. Um, uh, well, if if we don't get rid, if we get rid of prisons, then we're going to be overloaded with people in society, and we're just going to have to deal with them, right? So that's mm-hmm. uh, so I can understand people's fear there. I understand that, um, and and it's it's not te- it's not an, an unjustified fear. I certainly agree with it, um, but I I think it's counter I can I think it's counter prisons are counterproductive, and I also I didn't touch on this much, but I do think that um, it is unjustified also from a libertarian perspective, and maybe we can mm-hmm. get into that in a little bit. But I, I also think that. Um, yeah, I also think the um, uh, the the murderers, is, the what are we going to do with the murderers and rapists is probably the best argument against it. But I, I think it's not insurmountable. Um, what in the case of like say a serial killer who is planning to like recommit again, like uh, they they say I'm going to do it again, you can't stop yeah. me. It's kind of people on the stand who say you can't stop me. Like the punters of the dead of season two, yeah. like I'm going to do what I want to do. How do you deal with these kind of people when they absent a prison society? Sure. So. Um, I, I should also be clear. Um, what, this actually gets into my point a little bit. I am not against restraining people who are aggressor, who are in in the process of aggressing, or who are planning to commit future aggressions. Right. Mm-hmm. So if someone runs to restrain that person, I think that's perfectly justified. Um, I, I, I think, and, and we're kind of getting into like one of the beliefs about like libertarianism is that I believe you have the absolute right to resist resist aggressors with violence. I think one of the problems with prisons, and in general, I think Rothbard also gets a, this a little wrong. I, I think the um, hey, you don't, yeah, right. You don't have the right to arbitrarily set a, like a certain time when you you will like take away someone's rights after they've stopped aggressing, right? So if someone just commits a crime, let's say, right, I don't think there's anything in libertarianism inherently that would say this person now loses his rights for seven years, right, or something like mm-hmm. that. It, it, it's pretty arbitrary depending on what whatever like some judge picks so i, I think we if we want to stay really consistent uh to theory for a, for a little bit then i think we have to at least acknowledge that okay we can stop aggressors but that doesn't necessarily imply that uh we have a right to use violence to stop them when they're not aggressing or when they don't seem to be in a position where they will aggress again uh here's a good one what about pedophiles? So they go free? Uh, well, it depends on what you mean by free. Uh, I, I don't think they should be free to be pet, like engage in pedophilia. No, um, 
I mean, but right. So like even right now in today's society, there are people who are pedophiles who get out of prison, right. And are free. Um, I, obviously if someone goes to, you know, if, if a pedophile tries to engage in pedophilia, then you have the absolute right to, uh, you know, use extreme violence against them. Yeah. Uh, right. To, to put it lightly. Um, so no, they should not be free to engage. They should only be free uh, in the sense that any other person would have a right to be free. You know, it's like, yeah. as long as they're not aggressing, they're staying within their boundaries and they're not doing anything untoward to, you know, children or, or anyone, then they, they should be free in that sense, but they should not be free to engage in, you know, uh, pedophilia as they are. Before we get into the uh, libertarian side and uh, yeah. philosopher side, it's uh, how to put this. This is one of those libertarian anarchist ideas that, like, you mm-hmm. bring up, and people think you're so outside the realm of like yes. what could happen next hundred years. Yeah. That it, um, I, I went before we went live. I went to YouTube. I typed in prison abolishment, and I saw mm-hmm. a bunch of BLM people talking about policy, yeah. prisons, and police. Um, they seem to be really stupid and have mm-hmm. no good answer yeah. for any of it. And I, I, it sucks about a lot of good libertarian positions. They get co-opted yeah. by yes. really dumb people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, what is something that could be done, like? At what at what point in the line is prison abolition a good idea? Like, do we have to have how many things do we have to have in place before we abolish prisons before it becomes anarchy in a chaos sense, not in the actual good sense? Right. Well, I, I think one of the re- so th- this is actually more complicated because of the state, right? Because mm-hmm. if you oftentimes and you see this in many states when you defend yourself in some sense against an aggressor, sometimes you are under prosecution uh, for defending yourself. So the state, but it would would complicate matters immensely. Um, so just from a practical perspective, I do think you would um, it would be more practical to do it in a way where in states where you don't necessarily ha- in states that are much more open about. Yeah, you can defend yourself uh, against aggressors. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, some say uh, more liberal states, you don't see that. Um, I, I do think uh, things that need to be in place is probably some form of and, and we already have this right. We, we have so civil law. Essentially, what my when I'm talking about prison abolition, I'm also talking about in a, from a libertarian sense a sense getting rid of all criminal law which would be to say that everything would essentially be torts and restitution essentially right so we already have civil law in the united states and in fact most most societies have civil law and in fact it wasn't until the state essentially co-opted law that they started introducing criminal law if you go back in time to like common law and things like this you you have essentially civil law so we already have civil law right now i think civil law plus the ability to adequately defend yourself and uh, a general a general sense even a limited sense of property rights enforcement and you can essentially um i i think it would work out and i think in practical terms i do think it would be better right um i I think it would also be less burden on the taxpayers as well obviously um there there is one other thing i forgot to mention earlier which is that um, bob barbie brings up this example in chaos theory as well and i think it's a great point he talks about like okay Let's say, and now this would be justified under libertarian grounds. Let's say we had uh, a criminal who would not pay restitution, right? So what would happen is more more than likely people would not want to do business with them. People would not want to deal with the criminal. And maybe there could be some other criminal uh, conglomeration or something. But for now, let's just talk about the criminal himself. The, no one, practically no one would want to do business with the criminal. And what would happen is that he would essentially be socially ostracized in most cases because no one wants to trust this person who obviously, you know, scammed other people or maybe hurt them. Yeah. So what happened is since since he won't pay restitution, more than likely the legal system is not going to defend his rights if mm-hmm. he ever got aggressed. So that means that in the society that he's in right now, he would essentially be an open target. 
And this would incentivize him to leaving that society. And you could imagine these market firms that could arise where they would be like, okay, look, they would, they would mimic prisons in some sense would be like, okay, look, you're free to come and go as you wish. But if you're being ostracized from society, if you stay here and you work for us and you don't leave the perimeters, we'll defend your rights for you, but you're not allowed to leave. Yeah. Uh, or you you can leave, but once you leave, you're no longer under our protection. It's like a so voluntary this, rehab facility. Yes, exactly. Correct. So so this could also be another way that you could um, institute this. And I think that's yeah. very practical. I was recently reading uh, Pat's work by Yavid, which I know you have some issues with, but I think it's a great prediction of how... Uh, a couple of the communities are going to like operate. Yeah, it's easy to. I, I my notes. I'm having Zay on talk about it soon. Actually, yeah. Um, and my notes are well, basically you could see a chaos series style prison uh, city states that people would sure. just like to stay with. Yeah, I, I. It seems very. Um, when, it, it seems crazy when you think of everything as it is now. Like the the state is basically this this giant fifty fifty like landmass. Yeah. Land but when you actually break it down, like city by city, covenant community like covenant community, it's not so outlandish as people think. Right. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. Yeah. Question from Sauce. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Um, why not just abolish imprisonment for nonviolent offenders, but keep aggressors like pedophiles, murderers, and rapists locked up? Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, which was like, obviously, everyone, I think every every libertarian already agrees that nonviolent people shouldn't be locked up, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think the practical answer to, or the, the economic reason why you should abolish it for everyone is one, it's a burden on the taxpayers. It does not bring actual like justice to, or it does not make the victims whole. And obviously for a murder, you can't really make them whole, but restitution is at least a step closer to that than making the victim pay for the criminal stay in prison. Right. Mm -hmm. That's, it's like, you know, that's almost insult to injury levels of, mm -hmm. um, so because when you understand the, like the prisons, the prisons are uh, state-based institutions that don't actually help bring justice. Because remember, criminal the criminal law ultimately is the, the, the criminal against society. It's not, you know, the victim is just there. The victim is there and he's at trial, but that's not the, the point of the criminal justice system. The criminal justice system says you have harmed society and we're going to try to rectify that through retribution. Now... From a libertarian perspective, I do think that if you have committed an aggression, the aggression is wrong, but I don't think there's any logical implication past that point where it says that, okay, after you've committed the aggression, we now get to use force on you, even if you're not being aggressive in the future, right? Mm -hmm. So some people believe that you just lose your rights entirely after you've aggressed at all. And I, I don't, I don't see anything in libertarianism that would ever imply that, even if that's like an intuitive, like instinctual thing for people. Now, now, truthfully speaking, right, if someone like murdered one of my family members, I would absolutely like understand and probably myself want to seek retribution for mm -hmm. it. But you know, I, I think in, in exact libertarian theory, I, I don't think institutionally, this would be justified. Yeah. I have I had a joke a while when I was like first coming into this libertarian thing. It's like if you're a victim of some kind of crime, why go to the police when you're going to sue them? Because right. if you sue them, you're going to make money off of it. And if, right. you, if you um go to jail, it's more, it takes longer. Probably yeah. that's not going to get effective. And you have to pay for the room and board. That's Just right. Sue them. It makes more sense. And it's a joke, yeah. but in reality, it's like no, we really you should be suing more people instead of going to criminal courts. Yes. Yeah, and I mean it's like punish like even uh with with prisons as we're saying it doesn't bring really any justice to to the family 
right? Mm -hmm. and, and obviously, what we were saying before, there's no perfect answer, right? If someone has murdered someone, there's no, nothing that we can do that can bring that person back. But at least, like, making that murderer pay restitution for the rest of his life to the victim's family would at least be, um, I, I think, better than uh, lock, the state locking them away because they inf infringed on society in some way. Yeah. Um, one from Andrew. Ace, in a biblical anarcho covenant, murder, pedophile, rape, etc. Well, all capital crimes, no prison needed. Would you object to that in principle? Uh, in principle, I would because I don't, I don't, one of the, the reason I'm against prisons is because I don't think punishment is morally justified. Now, when I say that, or justified by the libertarian theory. So when I say that, it's, I concede that um, I, like, as we were just talking about, like, I could see if someone like uh, harmed me or my family in some way, I probably would want to take retribution against them. Now, the thing is, I, like, while I wouldn't justify that on libertarian grounds, if I'm someone who believes that punishment is wrong and someone goes out and kills their rapist or, or their family's murderer, I'm not, I don't want that person punished either. Right. Yeah. So you can kind of see how that kind of would work out in a practical sense, even if I disagree with it in a theory uh, sense. Yeah. Uh, I had a question earlier. I can't remember what it was now. Um, let's. Oh, I remember what it was now. Um, Jared in Democracy had a tweet recently about bring back uh, stoning people and kicking them out of your area. Yeah. Um, what I think is, again, much better than prison. Was the, yeah. the one to claim the mega prison is separated from society. And it's like, well, if you're going to separate it from society, why don't we just kick them out of the community? Right. So that makes much more sense. Um, what's that? I don't have a, too many questions because it's kind of a straightforward thing. Uh, let's yeah. get into like the arguments for like when you people bring it up because i saw today people had some crazy people react to it kind of like oh you're a crazy person because you want right. to rape this it, it's like when a state's first encounters anarchism or something it's like yeah, yeah their first reaction would build the roads. <laughs> right exactly yeah yeah so i'm trying to think how to phrase this um have you have you have you had any personal experience to talk about this in person with people like if you have, have you brought this up in person with anybody, or you only done it um, like online? It's mostly been online. I, I don't get too. It just doesn't come up in natural conversation for yeah. me in my daily life. Usually, and like talking about it, like yeah, yeah, prisons just usually don't come up too much. So it's yeah. mostly online. Yeah, and they come up with me quite a bit because I'm in a group chat with a guy going to a law school. My oh, former, okay. my former youth pastor, and so we're constantly arguing about like what should you do with prisoners, and I yeah. I, I get into a lock and I say I'm against the death penalty. Yeah. And they're like, what if he's going to commit again? It's like, we can't punish someone well, for a possible yeah. future crime. This is another point. <laughs> that The whole point of like, well, we need to deter future crimes, right? So this is also an argument people will give, right? So they usually give two main arguments, which is uh, we need to enact retribution or we need to use it to, de to deter crimes, future crimes. One, if you're doing it for a deterrence, you're, you're, or you're doing it because you think this person might commit again, what you're engaged in is pre-crime. Right. You're, you're trying to justify your belief that prison is justified because this person might commit again. But there's no there's no reason you can th like just because someone has committed a crime in the past. It doesn't logically imply that they will or mm -hmm. it's inevitable that they will commit again. Right. We just don't have that knowledge. So because of that, while they're guilty of the crime they committed, I would argue that they're not guilty of any future crime you may think they might commit. Right. Because mm -hmm. that, that itself would be pre-crime. And if we have to apply innocence until proven guilt and that's on a case by case, crime by crime basis. Mm -hmm. So one of the reasons you have to uh, take that into account is if you don't take that into account, maybe if so, if your base layer justification for prison in general is, well, we have to deter criminals. Well, if you if you logically extrapolate that out and you have no other like principle to mediate that principle, mm -hmm. it seems that you could justify 
hurting innocent people to deter crimes, right? It's like, or or maybe like someone commits a small crime and like, well, we have to punish this person because we have to show these criminals that we're going to enforce the small laws, the minor laws, really harshly to yeah. deter them, right? So if window policies or something. Yeah, exactly. So if deterrence is just your um, your goal, you, that would, if you have no other mediating principles, I was saying, it would seem that you would kind of um, justify anything. You could justify mm -hmm. torturing anyone to say, oh yeah, we're doing this for the greater good so that this creates an incentive, uh, disincentive for people mm -hmm. to commit aggression in the future. And I think that would just be flatly out, uh, unjustified. Yeah. I want to talk more about the uh, the debt side of things. Yes. Because yeah. this is actually why I'm um, on from popularity because I'll forget to do it later. Yeah, but Ace, recidivism is often precise. Uh, it's often precisely because no one wants to do business with them, which is what they're advocating for and the means of justice. Sure. Well, no, the so what, what, I, what I'm saying that the like, okay, that's true. But one of the reasons that's true also is that you have to factor in today's society, which uh, people in prison, uh, because people have this instinctual idea that if a person's been to prison, then they must be, you know, a bad person. And this makes them less likely to be able to get a job in society and engage in society. Um, and this does, it's true, it does lead into more recidivism. Um, my distinction here with what I was arguing was if you, if you took that, if you took an anarchist society or if you just took the system I was, I was talking about where it's like this person can make restitution, if they make restitution for their crime, then they're probably going to be seen as more of a, a more upstanding criminal compared to a criminal who does not. Right. Mm. So just because if they've been to prison and they get released, you don't know if they've been on good behavior or not. You don't know like what their actions were in prison. Right. Mm. All they know is that you have a criminal record. So this is like when you apply people, for a job. Yes. And you, you exactly. put down like I was in prison for mail fraud and it's like, well, we see prison, you're not gonna get the job. Yeah, they see prison and then it's all it's you know, it's it's terrible for people who have been to prison. So in my example, it, the person is incentivized not only to, you know, pay the restitution because their rights wouldn't be protected if they did not, it generally. Um but they'd also be incentivized to do it because they would able, be able to be reintegrated into society if they did pay the restitution and they did show that they were on good behavior. So yeah. there are multiple like incentive benefits to to this system over prisons because when most people see prisons, they just they can assume the worst, right? Yeah. Whereas if you, in some sense, if the criminal is in in the public space still, in, in that sense where it's like they can be seen and they can be seen to be being good on their word. Mm -hmm. then they're probably more likely to be in, more integrated into like social life than a, a criminal who doesn't or a criminal who's been in prison, certainly. Yeah. Um, so on the point of like on the debt and restitution. Yeah. Let's say, let's give a hypothetical. Uh, someone under the age of 18. Yeah. Wants someone else over. Manslaughter. Yeah. Uh, the person under 18, uh, say the 16 just saw driving. Do they owe the restitution or does the family cover what today of AIDS? Like how would that hypothetical yeah. work out? So I would argue that the guardian would owe the restitution probably because they are responsible for mm -hmm. uh for their um their ward essentially, right? Or their child. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say that in that case the guardian would owe it because they are the one responsible for it. But I do think that if they are at age, uh if they are at age where they can they have a job and they can work. Then I would actually probably say that it is the the child's fault, or not the child, but the teenager's mm -hmm. fault. Um, yeah. yeah, so that that's probably how I do it. It, it would depend. It, it depends on age, and it's not. It's more of like, do they have the capability 
to pay it back essentially or do they have a job or, or are they in that like mental headspace where that, that's mm. um, applicable to them yeah. so i would say i would say it depends but i, I could see a case for both yeah it's it's a it's different thing but like we have now it's like oh the person's not mentally capable of say committing the crime but they did the crime by accident kind of thing and it's like yeah. juvie uh special prison special, special needs kind of situations it's it is very interesting to kind of think about all the implications this could have. I, again, it's it's very out there for people listening, but I think it's not that what to really think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I missed one, huh? Uh, do you see that mentality of not wanting to associate with criminals changing? I don't. Um, well, I, I think there's certainly a st- – well, I don't know, but I would certainly say there's a stigma around prison in, in particular. And, and, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously for good reason in the sense that it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy or a feedback loop, a negative mm-hmm. feedback loop, people get in prison. Um, but I, I, I think in this – I think in, in general in American society especially with uh, prisons, I, I think there kind of is this um, – idea that if you go to prison you're just like a monster right and this sort of goes to like this almost conservative belief where it's like if conservatives often see a cop and this is not just true for conservatives but liberals too but if a person sees a cop arresting someone their immediate assumption is that oh that's a bad person right Mm -hmm. because that because if your immediate assumption is well that's the cops are the good guys so they must by definition they must be arresting the bad guys i've I've, I've saw noticing is if it was uh, you see a new breaking news story someone was arrested for something it's in all comments, death sentence, uh, long time license. Like he was arrested. He's, yeah, he, we don't know if he's actually he, guilty. He, we exactly. just, yeah. It's like if you if you go on trial for something, and if you prove it innocent, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. Your reputation is like gone. Exactly. Everyone yeah. assumes guilt. It's it. Yes. One of the most frustrating things I've noticed recently, and I can't. It's, it's so stupid too. It's not like it's not, I, I can't really see a good argument. Like if you claim you believe innocent, proven guilty, why are you like this? Cop TV, and stuff. you see that Cop with TV. Ross or like comments with Ross Ulbricht all the time, too. I was arguing with someone today, but, but that's a whole yeah. separate topic. But um, yeah, I, I had to go on for that one, oh, yeah. That uh, one. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I so to, to popular point, I yeah, I, I don't know, I can't really say in the sense that, um, uh, whether it would be like everyone, every criminal, or people would generally view criminals as being okay to associate with in society, but I certainly think it would be better than it is now with prisons. I certainly think that would be an improvement nope. uh, in the sense that if if people in general can see that the criminal is making good on their word, because here's the thing with prison, right? When, when they're put into prison, they're taking out of the public eye. They're taking out of the public imagination. So what this does is that when they're in prison, there's an immediate assumption that if they're in prison, they must be a bad person. And even if they did a, ba- a, a bad thing, if they, even if they committed a crime, it doesn't necessarily entail that they're always going to be a bad person. So when someone's in prison, for example, um, it, it can lead the mind to wander because the, the general public doesn't know what that person has been doing. They don't know what that person's been up to in prison. They don't know how good or bad they were in prison. Whereas if they're out in the open, people can uh, more clearly make a value judgment based on that person's actions on if they're performing to their duties based on the crime they committed. So I would say that's probably the um, what I would say to that. I think it would be uh, much better for people to just be able to determine which criminals which criminals or which people who have committed crimes in the past are better to associate with than ones that have not. That's the point I'm going to bring up is um, I'm against sex offender registries. I saw that one debate at the yeah. Soho Forum and that one Tom Woods episode, and it was kind of yeah. like, oh, these sex offender registries are dumb and don't make sense. But when you're talking about like people seeing them making with a two, so do we have like an offender registry for this? People can see, hey, you are you did this 15 years ago and you're still paying with a two cent for it. Do we, are we substituting a sex offender registry for a... Uh, prison for a uh, fender registry here like how does this work well 
I mean, yeah, I, I think you could. I think you could have a registry in some sense, right? In the same way that, mm-hmm. like, often what would happen with uh, with criminals, like in these medieval times, is that they would essentially say, or, or like they would essentially say, this person has uh, committed has not been good on their word, and they would essentially like pl- spread their name throughout town uh, and do it. So mm-hmm. I, I think that is one way you could do it, and I think there's still pro- right. There's still problems with that, right? There's no perfect mm-hmm. solutions here. Yeah. Um, but but I certainly think that that's probably it's more advantageous to the public at large to be able to see exactly who is making restitution and who is not, right? You could, you can imagine any type of like organizations that could distribute that type of information to the general public, um, that who, which criminal from which crime was paying rigid mm-hmm. restitution, right? You could have an open database of stuff like that. So uh, I think that would probably, uh, I think that would be much better. And as you said, it would go to reputation, which is I, I think it's crucial if we're mm-hmm. talking about like an anarchist or free society. Yeah. That's one thing I think where I would love to see it come back is like what's uh, reputations of people and they yeah. can actually have an impact. Right yeah. now, no one cares who anybody is. Yeah. I would love it, to see yeah. it kind of come back into action. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I brought it up. I feel like I have to clarify something. Uh, the sex registry is being bad. People mm-hmm. hear that and they don't know what I'm oh, talking yes. about. Why yes. it's bad. Do you want to clarify real quick why sex registries are stupid and still don't exist? Sure. Well, most people, when they hear you're a sex offender or you're on the sex registry, they immediately think you're a pedophile, right? That's the first immediate assumption is that most people make. But mo- but this could what this mean could mean and what this has meant for a lot of people is that uh, they when they were 16 years old, they sent a nude photograph to some other 16 year old. And now they're on the sex offender registry, mm-hmm. right? So public donation, all sorts of nonsense is on. Yeah, there. yeah, exactly. Just, yeah, if you, yeah, like it's insane. If you actually look into it, all the stories of the people who are on there, it's completely unjustified, right? These people are no threat to anyone, and it, it ruins people's lives like that. It's it's mm-hmm. like a you know a, a scarlet letter on, on their reputation. Mm-hmm. So and there's no and because people have that stigma in their mind that oh this person must be a pedophile then it uh, just assumes uh, it just, there's that intuition or that immediate assumption most people make where, Oh, this person is bad. And also, uh, you know, there's been people who are like, why don't we just round, go look at everyone on the sex offender list and just go kill them. It's like, what are you talking about? That's insane. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you're, you're acting like a thug. <laughs> That's... Yeah, no, it, it really is. Is it, um, what was it? It's, I watch a lot of cop shows, not as much mm-hmm. as I used to, because I can't get past all that. Like, it's yeah. kind of fun to watch pu- uh, public propaganda. Uh huh. Yeah, sure. Um, they had an episode in the sex offender registry about a guy who wouldn't he, um, got killed by his neighbors because he was on a sex offender registry, yeah. and it's like he just public urination, but because they, they, they don't clarify what it is that he did, is this sex offender? He got killed, and it's like I can't imagine this happening. Like, you very yeah. easily imagine this happening, and oh, it doesn't yeah. lead. It doesn't lead to recidivism or repeat offense. Like, it doesn't. Right. repeat offenses and sexual uh, crimes it's not that high like it's very low yeah uh, and this does not help it actually hurts it and so it, yeah exactly really no reason to have a sex offender registry right yeah we got a bunch here from andrew i'm gonna go through each of these real quick um okay sure uh i think it's more consistently uh, consistent to say we can use multiple reasons for having the habit of the system deterrence restitution and restitution and this Oh, my eyes are hurting me. Uh, all decent reasons, and they are not mutually exclusive. Well, I mean, you, you could say that, right? You, know, you could say like there are reasons in the in the fact, in the sense that they uh, they purport to have outcomes that we might find desirable. But I think that my uh, my point against it would be that uh, retribution and deterrence specifically um, aren't necessarily consistent with libertarian theory. And I know that's kind. Of, and I know most libertarians when they hear that. 
that is probably a shock to them because they think and also right I, I do think Rothbard gets this a little wrong but um the the reason for it is that um, as I, I think I, I talked about deterrence before, where it's like just because a person has committed a crime in the past, it does not imply that they're going to commit a crime in the future. So punishing them in some sense to stop either stop them from committing a crime in the future or to stop someone else from committing a crime in the future seems completely unjustified to me because that that's going into pre-crime. Right. We could just we could justify any number of horrible things with a deterrence mindset specifically. Um, retribution. I mean, I can understand like um, a family member's uh, like wanting to have retribution, right? There's, I, I totally get that. And I can't say that I would think or feel any differently if I was in their situation. But I would say, um, I don't think that, I, I think if we strictly stay with the non-aggression principle here, I don't think that there is a logical way we can say, and I know there's some theories like Estoppel that uh, Stefan Kinsella have, uh, has um introduced but I, I i'm not a huge fan of that or subscribe to it i have problems with it but i don't want to get into that right now because that's a whole other can of worms but um retribution i think ultimately you can't just like if the nap says you are justified in responding to aggressors with violence to stop the aggression right so if someone is going trying to kill me i have the right to kill them but if someone stands on my toe let's say i don't have the right to kill them or like knock them in head first into a wall or something like that i merely have the right to like exclude them from my boundaries and this also gets into property rights where it's like the reason a person can make rules on their property right the reason i have a right to set rules is actually a de facto right from the natural right i have to exclude others right so the reason i have a right to like make my own rules is because i can exclude others which implies that i have the right to set the terms on my property's use right so ultimately all pro all libertarian theory is about the right to exclude others that does not include the right to necessarily punish others. Mm -hmm. So if someone breaks a rule on my property, I have the right to exclude them, but I don't necessarily have the right to punish them, right? Um, so that that's one of the reasons why it, it's like you don't, like if a person aggressed at one point, it doesn't necessarily imply that they've lost their rights after the aggression um, has occurred. Have you and Andrew done any podcast besides the one on Jose's channel? No, no. I feel like if you guys had a, a good model, like Gwyneth moderated it with a timer, yeah. you guys would have a great conversation. But you oh, guys, yeah. it could be, I, I would love to host it, but I, I would have that to be strict with like, here's a timer, can't go past this timer, right? See time. Otherwise, it just, it, I see it very hectic, but it'd be really enjoyable for anybody yeah. listening because you are both just fantastic. Well, thank you. Here's the next one from Andrew. Uh, if, if Kate is making seeds pay retribution, are you okay with making them pay very simple, two, three, five, et cetera, uh, multiples at retribution in order to skew the risk? Uh, versus reward prospect towards risk. Oh, so like making them pay more than like they, okay. So like in, in terms of a thief, yeah, so you can certainly, I, I would certainly say you can um, make them pay not just for what they stole, but also for the cost that was incurred by trying to catch the thief, right? And I do think Rothbard kind of gets us right where he, it's like, if a thief steals something and then all the costs that went into retrieving the property back from them also, the thief would have to pay. Um, so I, I, I would do that. I wouldn't say that there's ne we necessarily you can like say like I stole two dollars from you and now you have to I, I uh, now I have to pay you like two hundred dollars, right? I, I would think that would and I know that's not what you're saying, so I don't want to strawman you, but I think that type of uh, thinking would kind of lead to that in some sense. Um, so I, I'm not so I understand what you're saying in the sense that that would be better from an incentive perspective in the sense that it would say this would really disincentivize uh, theft. 
Um, but I think we also have to balance incentives and rights, right? So just because it would it would lead to an incentive, maybe, then didn't wouldn't necessarily be in line with the uh, the rights based theory. Uh, making restitution multiple reform uh, multiplies uniform and simple makes it easy to calculate the risk. risk and um, so on this, uh, so on, on staff, I tend to agree. Um, on other crimes, um, so like th people always have this objection, which is um, they'll say, well, um, if if you commit a crime, if a mur if a very wealthy person commits a crime, right, couldn't they just keep committing the crimes and keep paying? Well, you know, they, there's a couple of reasons I don't think that would happen, which is well, some of the reasons I've given before, but another is that it could be uh, scaled, the restitution paid could be scaled to their status in society. So if mm -hmm. they were a very wealthy person, that could, they would might have to pay much more than if a poor person killed someone. Uh, so you, the arbiter could scale, the, I do think could scale the restitution uh, based on that in some regard, based on like the accountability mm -hmm. that this person had based on their status. I'm gonna bring up an obvious object people are gonna say, yeah. uh, is that if you have rich people, killing poor people and you mm -hmm. have a judge, it's easy for a judge who also is probably rich to be friendly with the rich person. Oh, and okay. The system is full of corruption, but every justice system is going to be full of corruption. There is no real yeah. answer so to it. The question is, the question isn't wouldn't a, a system without corruption be great? It's which system can we best identify the corrupt the corrupt um, people in society and which system can we best uh, um uh, fix that corruption or at least uh, disassociate with that corruption right mm -hmm. so you have to think okay let's assume this cor corruption is a constant of human nature if we assume that a, a centralized system is going to have much more like corruption and you're not going to be able to deal with that corruption uh in an effective way because of the centralized structure is going to in some sense reinforce it, it so to your question if you had a very rich person killing someone and then the judge was like backing that rich person that that judge probably could stay in in um uh, in business in some sense that arbiter could stay in business because they're getting funneled money from this rich person but most people would not want to go to that arbiter ever again if they knew mm -hmm. that some like corporation was like backing this judge specifically yeah. and they would not be forced to go to that arbiter either so they could they could just disassociate um um in this so yeah that's true that like there could be problems and i'm not saying there would be no corruption obviously yeah. Uh, but it's like, as you said, it's like, okay, which system would be better to deal with the corruption? Yeah. Now, I, I have a, a friend who's an engineering type, and I don't talk politics with him because he doesn't mm -hmm. uh, live in reality. Yeah. <laughs> like, his answer was, uh, the problem is government is all the money. We just like it's money out of politics. I'm like, and I want it to sort out of the ocean. You're not <laughs> right. speaking in reality here. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, the judge is a problem regardless of the system. Yes. 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 <laughs> I had a uh, judge who was a Calvinist, has my scoutmaster and Boy Scouts. Impossible to deal with. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, I, I don't like judges. The, right, yeah. First of all, I don't like lawyers in general. So a yeah. judge is like a next level lawyer. It's even more annoying. Yeah. But, uh, oh. Yeah, the... uh, I, don't, I don't think history shows that central life and decentralized system of justice are much different. Judicial corruption is pretty consistent. In the terms of in terms of common law, I would disagree. I, I think when you have when like I didn't say that it was different. I, I just said that it was more flexible, right? So what you want is in a decentralized system, if a judge is corrupt in a in a polycentric legal order, you can disassociate with that judge, and you don't have to like be forced to see that judge. Um, so I, I think if a judge is corrupt, it's in the same way that would you rather want a corrupt government or a corrupt business, right? Like a corrupt business, okay, this business is obviously corrupt, 
but you don't have to enter, you don't have to buy their products, you don't have to you know, do anything they want. Whereas when there's corruption in a centralized system like the state, um, the cost of that corruption is you're go you're going to feel the direct effects of the corruption, and you're going to be pay paying for the corruption in some sense through your own tax money. So I, I think um, we can't stop the corruption, but we can in a decentralized system we can disassociate with it much uh, much more effectively than in a centralized system. Yeah. Um. This is a, 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 Andrew Mahia. Uh, there is no good solution to justice. Yeah, yeah that is. That is something that like was the uh, I've only realized that probably like in the past months or so, and mm -hmm. that's something we talk to people. I talk to people now about things and, and on Twitter and person. It's like yeah, no matter what you bring up in justice, yeah. it's gonna it's gonna suck. Yeah, there's no there's no way we can ever like like ever get to like a, a platonic view of like justice. We can never meet mm -hmm. a platonic view of justice. And I think in some sense, you know, th there's almost a hyper fixation on justice, and I get why. But I think um, I would almost per I would prefer peace in some sense to justice uh, most of the mm. time, um, merely because I, I think a hyperfixation on justice actually is counterproductive and leads to injustice. Right? You can you can see this in certain ways. It's like um, if we believe that we have to go and we have to uh, bring this person to justice no matter the cost, it's like okay, well that cost now could is more injustice, right? Mm. On your way to bring about justice and also just with the corruption it's like yeah we'll never have a perfect justice system even in a decentralized order but but the problem is the d or the the point is the decentralized order is it has much more superiority compared to a centralized one just due to economic incentives that's why i'm not passing on this debate with ace there's no good solutions i'm pretty open-minded and flexible on the topic i mean that's fair but i i, I think my point um my position on this comes mainly from a moral perspective and also, but I do think there's good, very good economic and consequentialist um, arguments for it, which is to say that I do think that, you know, one of the prisons is that, you know, we were talking about the stigma people have with prisoners. Uh, and it's like, it's really awful that I think a large majority of these people, and, you know, even if there's some people you want to be, want in there, um, a large majority of these people do not deserve to be in there. And they're essentially just forgotten about from society right these people are never thought about again except by their families and it's just you know these people are just like removed out of the minds of every person in society and i think that is a very unfortunate and it leads to um suffering unjust suffering of those prisoners um you, you know and i think that's why you know in some sense having the prisoners out in the open is actually better because you can distinguish which which pe which of these criminals are actually worth worth like reintegrating into society and in which you just want to arm yourself and stay away from. Yeah. We are running out of time. Yeah. Um, what are some great topic books, articles? I'm sure there's like a, but there's a literature on everything. What's yeah. some, if you, what is some literature if I could put in the description for this video? So um, against the criminal justice system is a, is a libertarian series of essay or writing articles by uh, Jason Baez. And I think they're probably the, one of the best pieces of libertarian literature on this on this topic in general. I think it's four to five parts. I'll link them to you after after the show. But I think that's probably where you should start. Um, Roderick Long has a great um, piece. I forget it's I forget the exact title, and I I feel horrible for it. But I believe it's like um, it's talking about restitution. I'll, I, I'm I'm blanking on the title right now, but I'll be sure to also link that to you afterwards. Um, Sounds good. Yeah. Um, there's. Uh, um, so I, I, the book Just Mercy is a great book. I, I think you should. Um, I had my friend uh, Mel uh, uh, talk me into that one. That that's a great book. I think people should read too. I think they also made a movie um, about it. Um, so 
uh, yeah, in I, I, in the so like to let my one well, of my last points here is I think that even if you think that so let's say you're not let's say you're not persuaded right let's just say you you still think prisons are good I would like to bring up a statistic here that I think even if you're not a prison abolitionist you have to think oh my god that's horrible nine I believe it's not something like ninety percent of convictions in America come from plea deals hmm. and what this means um, for most people is that it, maybe libertarians like don't think about this too much, but plea deals are coerced confessions. So if you, we assume that you're innocent until proven guilty, let's say, right? You're, the assumption is that you're innocent until proven guilty. And then someone comes up with a plea deal and says, look, you admit to this and you're going to face less time if you get sentenced than if we sentence you, right? Mm -hmm. This is a coerced confession, which means while they were presumed innocent, they were threatened to admit to the crime to get a lower time. Mm -hmm. So if that's if we assume that's ninety percent, like if that statistic is accurate and it's like a, a around ninety percent, then what that means is that there are ninety percent of people who, at the very least, deserve trials <laughs> and should not be there. So even if you're not like a libertarian, even if you're not uh, a prison abolitionist, I think you're committed if you believe in innocence prior to guilt and you are against coerced confessions that. 90% of these people are just out or have free trials or trials in the first place. Uh, anyone listening, there was a fantastic video from uh, Don Stossel called um, on YouTube. It's called Classic Stossel Mandatory Minimums. It was, it oh, was, yeah. yeah, it was my favorite Stossel video. I was saying that one, I watched that with my dad, and he, he's boomer con as fuck. And it red pilled him on the court system. He was like, right. oh, this isn't good. Like, it's once you see that, you're like, oh, this is obvious. This is entirely corrupt, right. just as the people could run for office later. Like right. it's, it, it turns out partisans, so it's even like doubly evil. Right. Yeah. But um, well, I think that's all the questions I had. We got some letters up in the description later. Um, yeah. We'll go, oh, I wanted to ask you, uh, Ace. Yeah. Uh, I didn't ask you this last time. What are three books in general? Just any book you think people should read. Oh, on just any topic. On just like any topic. Yeah. Any, any three books. Okay. Oh gosh. Uh, well, considering your audience, I'm, on, sure, yeah. I'm sure most people have read Anatomy of the State. Um, hmm. I might go out there and I might. So I, I think I'll recommend The Myth of Sisyphus just for a philosophy book uh, hmm. by Albert Camus. I love that book. Um, or It's more closer to an essay than a book. But um, And then I'll probably say it fiction wise. I think I, I love Huckleberry Finn. I'm a huge fan of Huckleberry Finn. It has... I read it for the first time last year. Uh, I was, I'm mean, like, this was a kid's book, and there's like some legit questions. And like when, um, when, uh, oh, uh, old Jim, I'm not gonna say his name in the book, but when, yeah. when Jim's talking about like going back and getting his wife and daughter, and Huck, uh, Huck's like conflicted, like, I'm hoping a guy uh, steal more people, and he's like conflicted over it. I'm like, this is a kid's book, and that's a really good ethical question about the times from a kid, and like, ah, oh, it's great. If if I can just say something about it, and I'm going to, it's going to be a little, it's going to be a kind of a spoiler of the book. So if you haven't read it, I'm sorry, or it's an old, it's an old book, but yeah. um, if there's a moment uh, closer to the end, it's the moral climax of the book. And so the, the premise of the book is that Huckleberry Finn is this kid and he rescues this. Uh, he goes on an adventure with this escaped slave. Right. And they go down uh, the Mississippi river on a raft and they have all these adventures together. That's the general premise. Huck has been told all his life that if he helps a slave escape or if he frees a slave, he's going to be sent to hell, right? He's going to be punished uh, eternally, uh, damned for eternity in hell. 
And there's a moral climax in the book, which I think is one like one of the most incredible moments in all of fiction, which is when Huck is uh, just distraught over this because he's feeling so much guilt over the fact that he helped this slave escape, essentially. And he's go- he's writing a letter to uh, Jim, the slave's owner, uh, where uh, she can retrieve, where she can retrieve her slave, right? And he's holding the note in his hand. And he's like, he's shaking, he's trembling. He's talking about like how he can't even pray because he's so distraught and how it's, it's the first time he's going to be able to choose once and for all between two two different outcomes, two things. And he, and he's thinking about how all these, how society and his family and everything told him that you're going to be sent to hell if you free a slave. So he's so distraught over this and he holds the note in his hand and he says, all right, I'll go to hell. And he tears it up and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such an amazing moment, but I think it's one of the most beautiful moral moments in any book ever. Uh, it's a yeah. fantastic book. I I loved it. I, I listened to uh, the audiobook on Audible is done by Eliza Wood. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. What's It's weird hearing him say the N-word. <laughs> um, it's kind of funny hearing photo baggage just drop yeah. and bombs every other sentence. But um, yeah, it's still a, fan, it's a fantastic book. Oh, it's and, so good. Uh, anyone listening, it's, I think it's included on the Audible membership. Like, definitely check it out. Yeah. I can't recommend it enough. It's amazing. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Well, was that uh, Ace? Where can people find you at? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Ace underscore Arcist. And I'm a co-host of the Surf Gang podcast, which is uh, nothing like this. It's more just, you know, a bunch of dudes just uh, joking around. So if you're interested in that, if that's something you're interested in, you can check that out at uh, Surf Gang on at pretty much any podcatcher. Uh, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for uh, having me. And this is a, a topic that I think is uh, very important. And I wish libertarians would at least take it more, interact with it more seriously, even if they don't agree. Yeah, that, that was uh, that's something I noticed is like uh, it doesn't seem brought up as much as like silver assets yeah. forces or other things. Right. Like, it seems like a pretty big thing. Yes. Brought up more. Yeah, 100%. So thank you so much for having me. It's no problem. Well, guys, another episode of uh, Face, Liberty, and Praxis. Um, hit like and subscribe. Say the video. Uh, have a good night.